bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 18th, 2016. Yesterday, October 17th, was the final filing date for extended individual tax returns. Of more significance to Novogratz and Company, it represented our 27th year in business. I'd like to thank all of our employees and all of our clients for giving us this great opportunity and look forward to the next 27 years. Of more note, this Saturday, October 22nd, is a significant milestone in the history of affordable rental housing in the United States. Namely, This Saturday marks the 30-year anniversary of the creation of the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit. The Low-Income Housing Tax Credit was created by the Tax Reform Act of 1986, and that bill was signed into law by President Ronald Reagan on October 22, 1986. Since then, the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit has become the largest affordable housing development program in the country, helping finance nearly 2.9 million homes for households in need. Turning to podcast news, In our general section today, I'll discuss the work in store for Congress when it reconvenes next month, after the elections. I'll outline the options for passing a spending package and how tax extenders fits into the agenda. In our low-income housing tax rate section, I'll discuss what kind of tax relief is available for areas affected by Hurricane Matthew. Then, I'll share a report by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition on how the shortage of housing choice vouchers and public housing units points the importance of the low-income housing tax credit. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll talk about when the $7 billion in New Market Tax Credit Allocation Authority is expected to be announced and what listeners can do to prepare for the upcoming round. In our historic tax credit section, I'll detail a Chief Counsel Advice Memorandum that was released by the IRS that documents the requirement that a pass-through entity in an historic tax credit transaction file a Form 3468 that's used to claim the tax credit. And I'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, where I'll share Renewable Energy Tax Credit regulation changes in one of the top wind power producing states in the country. Yes, Iowa. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, Congress reconvenes in about four weeks, and House Republican leaders hope to hit the ground running on spending negotiations right as they get back. Now, lawmakers will have exactly 12 legislative days after reconvening to pass spending legislation before the December 9th funding deadline under the continued resolution that was passed last month. Speaker of the House Paul Ryan and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell will try to negotiate a series of small appropriations packages, or what are referred to as minibuses. That's instead of passing a larger omnibus bill, like the one Congress passed last year. At the beginning of this year, Republican leaders said they hoped to pass all 12 appropriations bills individually. Now, the last time Congress was able to push through spending bills individually was fiscal year 1998. That's right, nearly 20 years ago. Speaker Ryan said that appropriators are using this recess before the lame duck session to lay the groundwork for spending talks. That way, 
lawmakers can jump right in when they come back in November after the elections. Speaker Ryan suggested last month that he would be open to prioritizing national security spending bills and using a continuing resolution to extend funding for any bills that remain unfinished. Ryan is pursuing the minibus strategy to avoid considering an omnibus bill, which as a must-pass bill has historically attracted miscellaneous provisions unrelated to the underlying agency spending bills. For example, tax extenders were added to last year's omnibus spending bill. Many Republicans also believe that omnibus appropriations bills give too much power to the president, allowing provisions that have less support to be included in must-pass legislation. Democrats disagree and want an all-in approach. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi said Democrats would only vote on many buses if all 11 of the remaining bills get done. With all of this attention on a spending package, where does this leave tax extenders? At stake, there is this year a handful of tax provisions that are scheduled to expire on December 31st. There are some renewable energy technologies that are affected, which include fuel cells, small wind projects, and geothermal heat pumps. Again, there is disagreement on tax extenders. Senator McConnell said he's open to considering tax extenders in the lame duck session. Meanwhile, on the House side, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Kevin Brady and Speaker Ryan and other House leaders are holding out for more comprehensive tax reform next year. As always, I'll keep you posted on Twitter. My handle is at Novogratik. In affordable housing news, President Obama and FEMA last week declared major disasters in parts of four states following damage caused by Hurricane Matthew. That major disaster declaration means that there is temporary relief from certain requirements of Internal Revenue Code Section 42 and 142 for low-income housing tax credit properties in those areas. Parts of Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia were declared major disaster areas. When a major disaster is declared, two revenue procedures from 2014 come into effect and they spell out relief for low-income housing tax credit properties. Among the provisions are a modification of what is considered a reasonable restoration period for recapture relief, relief for carryover allocation and place and service requirements, along with the discretion for state housing agencies to treat low-income housing tax credits as returned or to toll the beginning of the first year of the credit period, the possibility for property owners to receive additional credits for rehabilitation expenditures, the ability to temporarily house displaced individuals, and more. The 2014 revenue procedures require property owners to maintain records on all displaced individuals who are housed in their properties. If you want more information on the revenue procedures that affect low-income housing tax credit properties, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. You'll find Revenue Procedure 2014-49 and Revenue Procedure 2014-50. You can also review my blog post, that explains the provisions at www.novaco.com. And if you have additional questions, I'd encourage you to contact my partner, Thomas Stagg, in our Washington office. I'd also like to remind those living in the affected areas that the IRS last week announced tax extensions for residents of 10 counties in North Carolina. The IRS said that similar relief is expected for hurricane victims in other states. Those residents will have until March 15, 2017, to file certain individual and business tax returns and make certain tax payments. You can see that IRS announcement with more details at the IRS website. In other low-income housing tax credit news, the National Low-Income Housing Coalition last week released a report demonstrating that housing choice vouchers 
and public housing units are vastly oversubscribed. These findings make it clear that there is a tremendous need to expand housing resources for the nation's lowest income renters. The report states that other housing programs, like the Local Housing Tax Credit, could alleviate pressures on public housing and vouchers by targeting extremely low income renters. Extremely low income renters are those who earn no more than 30% of the area's median income, or the federal poverty guideline, whichever is higher. The information for this report was gathered from a National Low Income Housing Coalition survey of public housing agencies. 320 PHAs, or public housing agencies, completed the survey about the status, size, waiting times, and household composition of their waiting lists. The participating housing agencies were diverse in size, metropolitan status, and location. The report indicated that 53% of housing choice voucher waiting lists were closed to new applicants. Another 4% were open only to specific populations, such as the homeless, veterans, persons with a disability, or local residents. Furthermore, voucher waiting lists had a median wait time of one and a half years for housing assistance. 25% had a wait list of at least three years. And 25% of the largest housing authorities with housing choice voucher waiting lists had a wait time of at least seven years. The average voucher waiting list consists of more than 2,000 households. Now, public housing waiting lists had a median wait time of nine months. 25% of them had a wait time of at least one and a half years, and the average public housing waiting list has more than 800 households. A majority of the individuals and families on those waiting lists are the ones who need assistance the most. Extremely low-income households accounted for 74% of households on the average housing choice voucher waiting list, and 67% of households on the average public housing wait list. As I mentioned earlier, the low-income housing tax credit can help alleviate this pressure. The Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2016, or Senate Bill 3237, provides incentives for extremely low-income rental housing in the low-income housing tax credit program. These incentives include a 50% credit boost for serving extremely low-income housing tenants and income averaging to allow a more diverse mix of incomes in a project to cross-subsidize more extremely low-income units. The bill was introduced by Senators Maria Cantwell and Chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Orrin Hatch. Now, if you want to read the report, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. In New Markets Tax Credit news, the City of Fund is expected to announce the awardees of its record $7 billion in New Market Tax allocations sometime soon. Our best guess, and it is that, a rough guess, is that the announcements will be made in the next three to six weeks. Obviously, we're keeping an eye out for that. And one way you can make sure you stay in the loop is to go to the Novogratic Email Subscription Center at www.novoco.com and sign up to get the latest tax credit news delivered to your inbox for free. And on a related note, you can also get an inside look at what's ahead for the New Market Tax Credit Program by joining us this week at the Novogratic 2016 New Markets Tax Credit Conference in New Orleans. The conference is this Thursday and Friday, October 20th and 21st, with some workshops on Wednesday. I'm also happy to announce that our keynote address will be delivered by Representative Charles Bustani. He's the chairman of the Tax Policy Subcommittee of the House Ways and Means Committee. We'll also welcome Bob Ibanez, the New Market Tax Credit Program Manager for the CDFI Fund. Bob will be on a panel called What's on the Horizon for the New Market Tax Credit Program and the CDFI Fund. I do hope you can join us. 
You can register today at www.novaco.com. In historic preservation news, the IRS said last week that a pass-through entity in an historic tax credit transaction can be required to file IRS Form 3468. Now, as you may know, Form 3468 is the form that's used to claim certain investment tax credits, including the historic tax credit and renewable energy tax credit. The IRS issued this clarification through a Chief Counsel Advice Memorandum, or a CCA Memorandum. The CCA Memorandum applies to pass-through entities that are not owners of the building, but they act as conduits for its Qualified Rehabilitation Expenditures, or QREs. The IRS said that even if the conduit entity does not own the building or historic structure and is not claiming the credit, it can still be required to file the form. That's because the IRS can require reporting from every entity in the ownership chain. Without such information, the IRS cannot trace the credit from the claimant to the pass-through entity that incurs the QREs. Thus, the IRS may require a non-owner pass-through entity to file Form 3468 and provide the employer identification number of the pass-through entity from which it receives an allocation of QREs. Now, the IRS can revise its forms and instructions accordingly. The IRS may also require a lessor that treats a lessee as having acquired rehabilitated property to provide the lessee with some important information which includes the National Park Service project number and the date of the final certification of completed work. And the lessee needs that information to properly file Form 3468. Now, my partner Tom Bosch in our Cleveland office notes that this Chief Counsel Advice Memorandum really just confirms what many in the industry are doing already. Tom says that it is a best practice to file Form 3468 and to provide information to a lessee so they can do the same. Now, the IRS has confirmed that judgment. You can read that Chief Counsel Advice Memorandum at www.historictaxcredits.com. And if you have any questions about claiming the historic tax credit, call Tom Bosha in our Cleveland, Ohio office. In renewable energy tax credit news, I have an update out of Iowa. Last week, the Iowa Department of Revenue adopted regulation changes to the state's renewable energy tax credit. These regulation changes were made to reflect a bill signed by Governor Terry Branstad in May. Last week's energy tax credit regulation changes include provisions that affect the tax application process, how tax credits are calculated, how tax credit certificates are issued, as well as the allocation of the tax credit for taxpayers that are partnerships, limited liability companies, S-corporations, or estates or trusts. These new regulations also reflect the extended qualifying place and service date, which the bill changed from January 1, 2017 to January 1, 2018. This gives developers another year to build renewable energy facilities and place them in service in order to claim the credit. The regulations become effective on November 16th. If you want to learn more about renewable energy tax credit incentives in your state, contact my partner Stephen Tracy in our San Francisco office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Just a reminder, there is still time to register for the Novogratz webinar on financial statement audits of lower-tier local housing tax credit partnerships. It's designed for non-CPAs. The webinar is this Thursday, October 20th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. You can register at www.novaco.com. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. 
Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.